thing to do. So today I'm starting a brand new series um, called Coming Soon. It's an epic story of hope. And this is Advent. Advent is about what's coming. Advent is about looking back as we look forward. And so today um, I want to get into that idea of coming soon. You know, I was thinking about the coming soons in my life. Um, We get excited, don't we? Uh, about the coming soons in our life? Don't you get excited about coming soons? No? You know, the entertainment industry really has mastered this. They've done something that uh, we all love. You'll see a commercial or you'll be on the web and you'll and say, watch this trailer. They came out with this thing called a trailer. And it's, a, it's, a, it's not quite here yet, but we want you to watch the highlight, right? We want you to see the big... And we want to grab your interest and we want you to know this movie, this TV show is coming soon. I remember, uh, you know, my my oldest daughter, she's not here, she lives in Fort Wayne now, but uh, we loved Longmire. And here's the problem with Netflix is you can watch a whole season in a weekend and then they don't come out with another one for like a year and a half right? And so you're like sitting there and you're waiting and I can't, I remember it's all over the web and I remember they teased us, it's coming out in August and then it, August came and went, no, it's going to be October. No, it's going to be November, you know, and so they just kept coming out later. But the coming soon, the, the, the excitement, it gripped us, right? Some of y'all are uh, Mandalorian fans. I know because uh, you have baby Yodas in your cars and that kind of stuff, right? And I remember when the first man, I thought, oh, I'll watch it. And I really liked it. But then I watched too many too fast and I had to wait for the next one to come. And it took a while. And they were always coming out with the coming soon. The coming soon in the interior. Restaurants in Angola. As soon as we see the land cleared and the construction stuff, the buzz starts. Hey, what's going in over there by Meyer? I don't know. I think it's a restaurant. Maybe it's a Culver's. No. Maybe it's a Chick-fil-A. No, it's not going to be a Chick-fil-A. And so we get excited when we see something going up because we see a sign out there that says, Coming soon. And we're so excited until we realize it's just another bank and a coffee shop. I didn't say coming soons weren't disappointing, right? I used to be a website developer, and they trained us early on when we would develop web pages and sites for customers. And they would say, you never put a coming soon page up. It's just tacky. It's bad. It just says that you're not working hard enough. You can't get stuff done. And uh, it's just bad. And so they would tell us, don't ever put a website up that says coming soon. And so we didn't. But now marketers have got really creative with this. They see it as an opportunity to create excitement. They see it as an opportunity to grab people's interest. They see it as an opportunity to build progress in people's minds and hearts. And so we've gotten smarter. Here's one example of a page. I have no idea what this is. It's called Indus. But look at what they did. They actually put a countdown... And it sits there on the website, and this isn't a, this is just a snapshot, but the website actually counts down. And then they say, you know what? Let's put something, let's not say coming soon, let's say something awesome is in the work. Ooh. 
I have no idea what this is, but I'm excited already, right? I think I'll sign up for it. And so then they put down there at the bottom, give us your email and hit submit, and we'll send you notifications. We'll let you know the progress. We'll let you know what's coming. We'll let you know what's coming soon. You know, if the flow of the Advent season was made into a movie, then the first Sunday of Advent would be the trailer. It would be the coming soon page. It would be that building of excitement. Sign up. Watch the countdown. Something big is about to happen. We are inviting you to stay tuned. They don't want us to lose interest. They don't want us to walk away. They don't want us to tune out what's happening. Something big is about to happen. Something big is happening. You need to be alert. You need to be aware. You need to sign up. You need to follow what's going on. You need to watch the horizon and be ready because it's coming soon. And that is Advent. And whether it's your favorite movie, the possibility of a new restaurant in Angola, the new website, or anything, the coming soons in our lives are meant to create a longing A longing. And longing creates hope. We hope. We hope. For a Culver's. (laughs) Better yet, we really hope for a Chick-fil-A, right? Or an Olive Garden or whatever. But longing creates hope. The question for you and me today is not whether or not we have longing. We long for all sorts of things. The question for you and me in this Advent season today is instead, what and who are we longing for? Isaiah was a great prophet who longed for the right things who longed and looked forward to the coming soon in his life. I'm in Isaiah chapter 64. If you want to follow along, if you have your Bible, if not, I'm going to have the passages up here. We're just going to walk through a passage in Isaiah chapter 64. I'm actually going to go up and begin a few verses before 64 because it's all one piece of Scripture. And I hope that you really see what God's saying to you today through this. So let me give you a little background. Uh, The people of God are in trouble. Enemies of the people of God are crashing in on them. They're taking over their cities. They're taking them away into exile. They're destroying their way of life. They're, They're destroying their religious institutions. They're destroying their social institutions. They are, the, the Babylonians have come in and they've taken over. And this is unusual for the people of God because God has been on their side for so long and God has won the victory for so long. How can this be happening? How can I be going through this? How can this be going on in my life? I mean, I thought God was for me. And the people of God were going through a difficult time. Their temple, 
the center of their religious. You know, the temple, in the ancient days, the temple was where heaven and earth met and the presence of God resided in the temple. And now these enemies of God, these Babylonians have come in and they've destroyed the temple of God. What does that say about the presence of God? God has abandoned them. God has run away from them. God has left them to their own demise. And things could not be worse for them. The place where the presence of God rested, their strength and their protection is gone. And they're in real trouble. Things don't look good. And Isaiah begins to prophesy to the people. He begins to talk to God and to the people. And it's important for us today to see the structure of this. You know, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard sometimes. It's difficult because we don't understand the structure. We don't understand the language. We're like, what is he talking about? You know, mountains trembling and what, what is going on here? But I want you to see, I want to share with you real quick before we get into the verses, the structure of what Isaiah is saying. It's a longing. So I'm going to read this verse exactly as you see. We're going to start with A1 and B1. A2, B2. A3, C1. You see, you thought, you're like, I thought algebra was like, you know, in high school or whatever. This is a structure of a passage of Scripture that when you see it like this, you're like, oh, I get it now. And the way the structure goes is, Isaiah will have a longing and he will lay out his longing to God. And then he'll lament over that longing. And then in the second part, he'll long again for something else. And then he'll lament over that. And then he'll have one more longing and then he'll make his final appeal to God. Follow with me, if you will. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15 through 16. This is the longing, the first longing of Isaiah. He says this. He's speaking to God now. Look down from heaven and see from your, whole, from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us? But you are our father. This is one of the very few times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as father in this passage of Scripture. You are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father, our redeemer. From of old is your name. Now keep in mind, they are in trouble. And Isaiah wants God to know that my heart longs for the love of God that I once knew. He's longing for the love of God. Where are your zeal and your might? God's love for his people was known to them and seen by them by God's mighty involvement and action in their life. So when God's not doing something in your life, when God's not moving as you think he should, when God seems absent, we begin to doubt the love of God for us. As long as the people 
saw God moving and working and fighting for them, they believed God loved them. He says, your tenderness and compassion are withheld. They believed what was happening to them was God withholding his love and his compassion from them. And then he says to God, God, but you're our father. Can't you see that we're hurting? Can't you see that the times are troublesome? Can't you see the pain and the suffering? Can't you see what's happening to your people? Can't you see, oh God, how bad things are? My heart longs for the love of a father who intervenes, who comes to my rescue, who will make things better. You're our Father. You're our Redeemer. And we long for that love. And we long for you to act a miracle in my life. That's the longing. He longs for the love of God. But now he laments over that. Look, next verse. This is chapters 63, 17, 18, and 19. He says this. Why, Lord, there's the lament, You know, somebody said once that in our culture, one of the great things that we've lost in our culture is to lament. He says, why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you or fear you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance, for a little while your, your people possessed your holy place. He's talking about the temple now. But now our enemies have trampled down your sanctuary. They've destroyed the place of your presence. We are yours from of old. Aren't you the same God that delivered us from the, from the Egyptians and crossed the Red Sea? Aren't you the same God that led us through the wilderness to the land of plenty? Do it again. Why, Lord, they have not been called your name. Isaiah laments that the people's hearts have gone hard. It's interesting. He longs for the love of God, but he laments because the people's hard hearts prevent them from knowing the love of God. It seems, and this is interesting, that Isaiah is blaming God. It seems to me, he says, why have you hardened the hearts of your people? It seems to me like Isaiah is blaming God for the sins of the people. Is this true? I mean, could God truly cause us to wonder? Is it God's fault that we wander from him? Is it God's fault that we don't want to have anything to do with him? Is it God's fault that we stop believing, stop trusting, stop having faith? When God is absent and when God is silent, we wonder. The translation has troubles, but what I believe Isaiah is saying, when you tie it to the first part of this section, he's saying this, God, when we do not sense you or see you, when we do not hear you, when we 
feel as though you are silent and absent, we doubt and we wonder. God, when you allow bad things to happen, we slowly turn away from you and we stop believing. We stop trusting. God, when you shake up and take away what's important to us, we love you a little less each day till we don't fear you at all. It's like a household. When the parents go away for the evening and leave the kids in charge. I never will forget, you all remember Aaron and Jessica Wainscott. Love them and their kids. I never will forget the Facebook post she took of her living room. She went in the other room for like a few moments and came out and the kids had totally destroyed the living room. It's like parents who leave and leave their kids in charge for an evening. When the parent is present, when the parent, when the parent is not there, the kids make a mess of things. And I think that's what God or Isaiah is saying. God, when you're not present, when you're not here, when we feel that you've abandoned us, when it feels as though you're not there, our hearts wander and we make a mess of things. On our own, without the presence of God, we're in trouble. So he longs for God's love. He laments over the hard hearts, but he has another longing. It's this in Isaiah 64, verse 1 through 5a, he says this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. He means that you would just rip them apart and that you, oh God, would just come down. This is a longing. Matter of fact, that word, you could take this whole passage of Scripture and that that one word, oh, that you would rend. That one word gives us a picture into the heart of Isaiah. He really wants God to show up. If yet you would just rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. God's come down before for them. And the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Isaiah longs for the presence of God. He longs for the love of God. And now he longs for the presence of God. When God shows up, things happen. When God shows up, mountains tremble, water boils, enemies of God become worshipers of God. When the presence of God 
shows up in a place such as this, when God shows up in your home or your workplace or your community or your churches, wherever you are, when God shows up and comes down to us with his presence, things begin to happen like water boiling under a fire. The presence of God is the catalyst for change. Isaiah longs for God to show up in a way that is unusual. God, these are desperate times, he says. It requires more than politics, more than human systems, more than just military might, God. Our problem, our situation requires you to come down. That's a longing that Isaiah has and wants to see happen. It requires you, God, to show up like you've never shown up before. But he laments this. He longs for the presence of, for the love of God, but he laments the hardened hearts of the people. He longs for the presence of God, but he has a lament over this. And it's this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 5 through 7. He says, But when we continued to sin against you, you were angry. How then? Can we be saved? There's the lament. We long for the presence of God, but our sin is before us. And how can we be saved? Next verse. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Isaiah longs for the presence of God, but he laments the sin of the people. How can they be saved? It's a good question. How can we be saved? Salvation for Isaiah is directly tied to the presence of the Lord. In other words, nothing can save us but God. Our works can't save us. You'll never be good enough to overcome the sin in your life. It is a free gift of God that He offers you. Salvation belongs to the Lord, but our sin keeps us from the presence of God. Even our righteous acts, even the good things that we do in life, are like filthy rags. Why? Because no one calls on your name. No one strives to lay hold of you. Are you striving to lay hold of God? Isaiah longs for the presence of God because only the presence of God can change their present situation. The presence of God can transform. It can change us. Only the presence of God will bring the salvation that we long for. However, as Isaiah laments, we do not strive for that presence. We turn instead to our own ways. 
And when we get in trouble, we look for ways to get out that don't include the presence of God. Righteous acts we do, but we don't seek God. So he laments that. He has one more longing. He longs for the love of God. He longs for the presence of God. But now he longs for the touch of God. He says in Isaiah chapter 64, 8 and 9, he says this. Yet you, Lord, are our father. There's that father again. We are the clay. And you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Next verse. Was that the, was that the end of it? Yes, that was the end of it. Isaiah says, I long for the touch of God. Like clay in the potter's hand. God has a way of molding us and shaping us to be what it is that he wants us to be. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes we have to sit in a situation that's uncomfortable. But when we long for the love of God and we long for the presence of God, we put ourselves in a place where God can begin to mold and shape us. Isaiah longs for that touch like clay. Isaiah sees that in all of this, God is still the potter of his people. God, Isaiah sees that in all of this, God is still at work in the lives of the people who turn to him, whose hearts are no longer hard toward God, who confess sin to God, who comes to God with a contrite heart and spirit and says, I am a sinner in need of salvation. God saves us. He shapes us. He molds us. He perfects that reflection of what it means to be children of God. So Isaiah longs for the love laments the hard hearts. He longs for the presence. He laments the sin. He longs for the touch of God. And now he doesn't lament, but in the last section, he actually makes an appeal to God. And it's this. You, your sacred cities, have become a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured, listen, all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, listen, here's his appeal. Will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Listen, God, Isaiah says he appeals to God. I need you to show up without restraint. I need you to not hold anything back. Get things. God, things are bad. We long for your love. We long for your presence. We long for your touch. But please, God, break into our reality. Break into our lives without restraint. Hold nothing back. We're a wandering people. 
with hard hearts. We're sinful people who do not seek you like we should, but God, don't hold back your presence from us. Come and do what it is that you do. So, how does this apply to us? I mean, this is a lot. But here's what I want you to hear this morning that Advent is about longing for change. Anybody want any change after 2020? We can't wait till 2021, but there's no guarantee of that either, is there? We long for the change to come. I just read an article that Japan just put out. They've had now more suicides in the last month than COVID deaths. We are afraid, many, of this COVID virus, of getting sick and something bad. We're afraid of losing a loved one. And we want change. But it also brings out other things in us. A longing. The people of God, listen, all throughout the Bible, longed for God to make everything right. To establish His rule. But they always lived with the tension that although the kingdom of God is on earth now, it's not quite yet. We live with the tension that God is moving and working and doing something in the world now, but it's not quite there yet. They always lived with that tension, and we do too, that ungodly people rule us, use us, abuse us. They long for God's love. They long for God's presence. They long for God to show up. They long for God's love. God's presence and to touch them in a way that molds and shapes them. They long for God to help them overcome. To make everything in the world as it should be. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God had just finished creating the heavens and the earth. And it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, listen, it was very good whatever you're going through whatever situation you're struggling with whatever you look around and see the injustice and you see the abuse and you see the evil and you see the sinfulness and you see the broken relationships and you see the pain and the anguish of all that i want you to know that even in the midst of all of that god looks at his creation and he sees something that when he created it was very good And we have made a mess of it. And instead of throwing it away, listen, instead of God just saying, well, like a writer who can't quite get a paragraph right and rips a page out and wads it up and throws it in the trash, God did not do that with us. God did not do that with the world. God looked at the world and saw it was very good. We messed it up. We made it bad. We have created something that we could never overcome on our own. But God still looks at all of creation. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, there's something good there. God did not wad it up and throw it away. No, God chose to redeem it. 
God chose to restore it. God chooses to reclaim it. God sees the good in everything. And He reclaims it. But how? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. So our hope is not just in setting things right at the end of time. Sometimes I think, Christians, we sit around and we just wait for the end to come. We're like, God, won't you just come and just destroy all this? And God's like, no, I'm not destroying anything. Look from Genesis to Revelation. God has been restoring everything. He's been working toward restoration and redemption and reconciliation. God is not going to throw us away. He wants to redeem us. And this is the hope of Advent, not just for the end times, not just for the second coming, but that the presence of God now is redeeming and restoring lives. He's restoring your marriages. He's restoring your relationships. He's restoring you. God wants to do it now. Jesus His first coming, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world tells us that God is restoring and redeeming. The kingdom of God is pushing its way into our existence. But our hearts are hard. And the sin in our life keeps us from enjoying the benefits of the kingdom. God longs to save us. He longs to see the broken healed. He wants to see relationships restored, wars end, fighting turned into celebration. God wants justice for all now, not in the future. He wants it now. The end of human trafficking, the end of abuse and hate, the end of violence, all the evil that you see in the world. The kingdom of God is pushing forward, wanting to restore and redeem all of it. Advent is not just sitting around waiting for the end of time. Instead, it is the hope and the belief That because Jesus came in the flesh, because God put on skin and lived among us and died for us and was resurrected for us, that now in this present day, God wants to redeem us and restore us. Jesus taught us to pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The hope of Christmas is that God has broken into our reality already. That God has begun the kingdom work of restoring everything as it should be. But we don't see the change in our life because we long for the wrong things. We long for Jesus to come and snatch us away somehow. Or we long for a political solution. The right party to take power. If the right party could just have power, then everything will be all right. Or we long for an economic solution. We believe that if we could just have a better job or more money, then everything's going to be all right. We long for a consumer solution, right? If I can just have a bigger bank account or a bigger house or a better car, then everything's going to be all right. We long for the wrong things, people. 
And I'm guilty of it too. We long for the wrong things. We don't lament over the right things. We lament when our political candidate doesn't win an election. We lament when we lose our jobs. We lament when our car breaks down or the furnace goes out. All of those things are fine and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be upset. But we shouldn't lament over those. We don't lament when our hearts wander from God. We and our hearts grow hard to His love and discipline when the fire's gone out and we're no longer on fire for God. We don't lament that. We don't lament over the sin in our lives, the knowing and the willful actions when we hurt people that we love. When we step out and we break the law of love and we hurt them and we destroy them and we make their lives miserable, we don't lament that. And God's kingdom cannot break through that hard and sinful life. But when His light light shines in that darkness, then you will see and then you will be free And then you can live joyful. Advent is about staying tuned in. Tuning into all that God has done in the past. The incarnation. Tuning into all that God has planned for us in the future. But Advent is just as important that we stay tuned into what God is trying to do today. We are a people of hope. You know, the old famous Christian hymn, O Holy Night, says this, Long lay the world in sin and air pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. I think that's what Isaiah was longing for. For God to break in and give us a new and glorious morning.